Back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by my co-host and star of the show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 317 right now in the network. We've come a long way since we had this guest last time. Uh, we've got a repeat guest that was on our podcast, She Gone, on the network. Up to, up to date now, before we get started with Bob, and we'll let Bob introduce our special guest today, I just want to thank our 52,000 subscribers from 74 countries, grassroots to MLB front offices. We appreciate your support. Because of the support you've given us, you've allowed us to be the newest podcast network on iHeartRadio. Let's make sure after the show we give Bob five stars and write some great comments underneath it because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. And we want to let iHeart know they made the right choice with this network. With that, Bob, I want to welcome you back to your show and let you introduce your special guest today. All right. Well, thanks. It's good to be back and we're honored to have a guest of ours, uh, Larry Boa. Larry and I go way back, 1966. We played against each other. He was a shortstop in Spartanburg for the Phillies. I was a shortstop with the Rock Hill Cardinals. And I played half a year because I just signed that year. And I made more errors in half a year than he made all year. <laughs> um, he, he was, and he only made, I think he made 12 errors all season. And that's pretty something to be said, playing some of the rock piles we played on. But he's always been a great shortstop. He's one of the all-time Philly players. Um, he played 16 years in the big leagues. Playing shortstop, he won gold gloves. Uh, he went into coaching and managing. He managed the Phillies. He managed San Diego. He's done everything, but one of the real baseball guys. I mean, if you talked about Larry Boa, he's a baseball guy. You tell her how it is. He's old school like I am to a certain extent. I think he's learning to adapt to some of this new analytical stuff, but I'm not so sure. But uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us, Larry, and uh, I know you guys, your Phillies, are doing well. Yeah, Shay. First of all, uh, congratulations on your podcast. Um, and we go way back. Like, like Shay said, uh, we started out in the Western Carolina League. And uh, back then, those uh, – <laughs> that's my dog, man. Um, those uh, fields that we played on were very difficult to catch ground balls, but uh, we overcame a lot of stuff. And uh, I just like coaching with you, Shay, because uh, – we have a lot of the same ideas, you know, it's uh, you either get better or you get worse. You never stay the same. That was a saying that you used, and I picked it up. And uh, I try to tell these young kids, man, if you want to get better, you got to work at it. And uh, right now, uh, as you said, the Phillies are playing exceptional baseball. Uh, hopefully we can get to the World Series once again. But uh, I'm looking forward to the podcast today and uh, answering some of your tough questions. Well, one thing about the Phillies, you guys are a real team for sure. You know, you you play well top to bottom. It seems, seems like somebody else contributes now and then, takes turns, although Harper takes his turn a little more often than others. And, but Schwarber looked like he was dead the other day, and last night he let off the game with a home run. So you got a great team, a lot of people rooting for you, I know that. And, uh, you know, we go back, like I said, we coached together with the Dodgers. We coached against each other when you were the Yankees and I was with, with Kansas City and Oakland with uh, – like I said, a lot of respect for you. We we had a lot of good conversations, and uh, sometimes we had a little argument now and then, but that was okay. Well, you know what, Chief? When when two baseball guys argue with with each other, that's good because 
I can't think of anybody in baseball that's been in baseball as long as you and I have that we're, we can say, hey, we're 100% right. I think that's what's the, the great about this sport is everybody has opinions and ideas and you go back and forth with each other and eventually you come to common ground and agree and, or disagree on things, which is, to me, it's very healthy. If somebody comes in and says, I know what's going on here, every pitch, every inning, they're lying because this is a game that uh, you learn from uh, from miscues, you learn from experience. Uh, and I think the biggest thing going on right now is you can't take away, no matter who's doing the analytics, no matter who's managing, experience to me is the most important thing in baseball. And you've been well over 50 years in baseball. So all the knowledge that you have and the knowledge that I have, you try to spread it around and help the young kids out on their way to the big leagues. When you start talking to them, I start talking to these guys when they put on a uniform in the minor leagues. And it's a lot of fun. And I'm just looking forward to this thing sort of evening out a little bit. I, I believe there are some good things in analytics, but for the most part, there's a lot of overload in analytics. Yeah, I agree. And like, you know, we both learned from older guys and uh, unfortunately some of the older guys are not around anymore. They get replaced by analytical guys. And uh, like you said, there's a lot of value in analytics, but uh, when it overcomes the baseball part of it, I don't know how good it is, but uh, you know, some of the theories they have, you don't sacrifice bond, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of strategy out of the game. It takes a lot of fun out of the game, watching the game. And we used to sit together and say, you think he's going to bond. You think he's going to hit and run. Right. But it doesn't happen anymore. No, you're right. I mean, it's it's like uh, the the sport right now is a no question. Uh, guys are bigger, faster, stronger. Pitchers throw harder. I think fundamentals are are part of the game that are overlooked right now. I mean, I'm watching these playoff games, and most of these teams are the elite teams left, and I still see really bad base running mistakes that occur during the course of a baseball game. And I don't believe this is because they don't know what they're doing. I just think guys don't practice it enough in spring training. It's all about uh, let's see how far we can hit the ball and see how hard we can throw it. And uh, and these teams are, are still in it right now. I mean, I'm looking at, at Dusty and Boach and Lavello and, and Rob Thompson. Those guys have been in baseball a long time. Uh, so it's just not coincidental that the four managers now – have a lot of old school in them. Uh, I know they incorporate some analytics as they move forward here, trying to get to the World Series. But the four guys that I just named, they've been in baseball a while. Uh, and I think that says something about experience. I think that says something about your eyes tell you something that's going on sometimes. Uh, you're, uh, when you look back and you're playing teams, you remember what guys did in certain situations. So these four guys that are still standing, to me, are, are old school baseball guys. You're right. They right. play old school baseball, but you know they learn from the bottom floor up, and uh, they just look at the Giants' management situation. The people are interviewing. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of the people are interviewing. I mean, they have no credentials to be a major league manager. But yeah, you both of those guys, they they work from the bottom up, and that's why they're successful right now. Well, you know, and and you know, I bring up our, our manager Rob Thompson, uh, Shafe, because this guy paid his dues, man. He he was. Uh, a minor league coordinator with the Yankees. He managed in the minor leagues. He managed, uh, he coached under Joe Torre when he was with the Yankees. He rode all these buses when he was managing an A ball in double A. This is all part of the growth. I think when you're coming up through the system and you're, uh, you, you didn't have the ability to maybe to play in the big leagues, but he learned through different venues. I mean, he, he when you sit next to Joe Torre, as you and I both did, you learn a lot just listening to him. And I think that experience, you can't, 
You can't duplicate that by putting stuff in a computer. You, this is knowledge that you obtain when you go through low A, high A, double A, triple A, riding 12-hour bus trips. These are experiences that no matter how long these guys, these new guys have come in, they will never catch up to the knowledge of guys like Rob Thompson and and Bruce Bochy and uh, Dusty Baker and Lavello. This stuff is is real. And uh, to go through all that and to get rewarded like Rob's doing right now, I'm very happy for him. How do you, how do you relay that, Larry, across to you know to the new the new wave people? Because it's it's so obvious. It's right in front of our faces that experience works. Uh, we see it every year in playoff time, 162 games. They can run analytics. They can say it's subjective, but it's not. A human made that formula, so it's as fallible as that human is. But at the end, b- baseball wins. And, I mean, why has it been overlooked? Why is it being pushed aside a little bit? And, and how do we get it back? Well, you know, as Shafe well knows, baseball is a copycat league. And you get three or four teams that all of a sudden go into analytics. And maybe they were successful, Uh then uh, everybody says, oh, we have to get to analytics. My question is, if, like I said, there's some good stuff in analytics. Don't get me wrong. I'm not completely against analytics, but to me, it it is overkill in certain situations. But I'm looking at teams that are 35, 40 games under 500 at the end of the year. They all have the same analytics we do. So why aren't they getting up to 500 or above 500 or getting into the playoffs? And you know what the, the main reason for that is? Is players. If you have players, it, it, players make analytics look good. If you don't have good players, it makes analytics look bad. So uh, I think we're getting away from the fact that players make these things go. It's not the analytics that make them go. And in my opinion, one size doesn't fit all in baseball. You don't just throw all this information at computer and say, this is the way we're going to do it. I mean, I've heard uh, analytic people say, this guy can't hit a breaking ball. Constantly feeding breaking balls. What if a pitcher goes out there and doesn't have a breaking ball that day? Or he's leaving balls up in the zone. You better have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And I don't think they give us enough leeway in this. This is is the way we're going to do it, and it will work if you do it. I don't believe it's that easy. This game is very difficult to play. Uh, And I think if you've never put on a uniform, if you've never played any kind of baseball at all, you don't realize how tough it is to play this game of baseball. I mean, the greatest hitters in baseball make seven outs out of ten at-bats. So The thing that bothers me is that they orchestrate the game before the game starts. In other words, this pitcher, get him out when a left-hander comes up, third time through the lineup and stuff like that. I mean, they took out – Toronto took out uh, Barrios. Right, right. And, and, was, you know, as you well know, as you well know, Shave, the game changes from a pitch to pitch, inning to inning. What the score is, uh, who you're facing that night. Uh, do you need a run or two, or do you need five or six that night? You know, you might have your fifth starter and you're playing their their ace that night. That means, hey, I'm going to have to get some runs because that guy on the other side is not going to give up too many. So it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment from the first pitch to the last pitch. And you're seeing these four managers now that are managing, they make those adjustments. Right. It's a psychological game. I think these veteran managers, they know you got confidence in their managerial ability. Now, some of these young managers, they try to appease the front office. The front office doesn't know how to manage, but they look at stats and say, do this, do that, third time through lineup, so many pitches, that kind of thing. And, you know, you got to look at the game itself and at their individual people out there and, uh, Sometimes like that third time through the lineup. I mean, I don't agree with that. Sometimes, you know, maybe the stats might show that they lose a little bit of stuff, but they learn to change speeds, you know, take a little bit off, 
And the yeah. other team knows they can't hit them. So all of a sudden, that's an advantage the pitcher has. Like, you know, when they took out Snell, Tampa Bay, right. relievers. game was over. Dodgers two times in the World Series. They took a guy out because of third time through lineup or pitch count or whatever. And he still had good stuff. So, you know, you got to look at every game individually. And one thing about this uh, analytics, there's no psychological decisions involved. It's all about just like bunting. They say bunting just gives up an out. Well, it does. But same token, when you bunt the guy in a winning run to second base in the eighth or ninth inning, or even a tying run, you put pressure on the pitcher. You put pressure on the infielders to make a play. One more base hit, you're probably going to win the game. But they don't factor it into, into the decision-making that they do. No, the strategy for that part, but hitting and running and bunting has sort of gone out the window. Uh, I, I guess because – in a way, they are right that there's a lot of swings and misses. But as you well know, playing, if you're in a little bit of a funk and you're not putting the ball in play, a lot of times you look down there and the manager gives you a hit and run. What's it do? It makes you concentrate a little bit harder. It makes you let the ball get a little bit deeper on you because you're saying to yourself, hey, the manager believes I can put this ball in play. I got to spread out a little bit. The guy's going to be running. We're trying to stay out of a double play. These are all intangibles that do not go into a computer. And until they realize this, if it was this easy, everybody would be 162 and 0. The game is not easy. It changes from, as we said, inning to inning. Each manager has different strategy. I'm a firm believer, Shafe, when you're a manager and you go home at night and you wanted to do something, and because of the situation with the analytics, they're saying you can't do this, and you happen to lose that game, it would be hard for me to go to sleep at night saying, you know what, I wanted to do this, but they told me to do this. And I think when you're a manager, you got to be able to put your head on that pillow at the end of a game and say, you know what, I did what I wanted to do. It didn't work tonight. It's not going to work every night. But in my mind, I feel at ease the decision that I made, as opposed to somebody saying, do it this way, it'll work. Well, it doesn't do It's not that easy, and it doesn't work all the time. Well, the whole thing is when you hire a guy to do the job, you hire to do the job, and you don't have to tell him what, what to do. I mean, when I ran a minor for Red Sox, I had like 25 work, uh, guys working for me, coaches and managers. And I said, I'm going to tell you what to do, teach this guy to hit the ball the other way, so-so, but you got to figure out how to do it. If you can't figure out how to do it, then I don't need you. But, you know, you give the guy uh, some responsibility, you got to give him some authority to do it the way he wants to do it and what's best in time. But he has a feel for the team. He has a feel what's going on at that moment. And that's lost sometimes in Major League Baseball because I think some of these young managers are intimidated by the general managers or front office people or analytical people. And that's one reason they get hired because they'll listen to what they say and they don't really know what's going on because they've never done it before. Yeah, I think you, you, the, the key phrase right there is they've never done it before. You know, uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I could not go into IBM and 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 do on uh, online training and run a company. I'll be honest with you, I couldn't do that. And that's why I don't think these guys that's never played, I don't think they have the right to come in and say, we know how to do it better than X, Y, and Z, who've got 50 years, 40 years, 30 years in the, in the big leagues or in, involved in baseball. So I think there's a happy medium here. But until we get to that happy medium, we're going to have a lot of, of, of issues that go on. Uh, and you, there's a way of doing both. There's no question in my mind. There's a way of doing both. Uh, I tried to get young kids in in our organization when I talk with them. Uh, I, I have not gotten it passed, but I'm still working on it. 
I'd like to get those guys to play the middle infield in low A. Don't give them cards how to play hitters. Let them read swings. Let them play counts. Let them play according to a guy's throwing 98 today. Well, tomorrow a guy's throwing 91. Does that mean we play them the same way? No, you don't. Uh, and I think that the sooner they're able to read swings and play counts and play game situations, play the scoreboard, as we used to say, I think you're going to see guys get through the system much quicker. Well, that's the fun part of the game. You know, it's a game within a game. And, you know, being a shortstop, which you were, you see the guy swing, you're going to try to slide maybe in a hole a little bit or up the middle a little bit. Right. And that's the fun part of the game, Try to figure out where he's going to hit it. But you can tell by his swing, the guy's a hooker, and, you know, hooks the ball, he's not going to hit it up the middle. Right. And the other guys, uh, you know, stay through the ball. They're probably going to hit up the middle more often. They're going to pull it in a hole. So that's the fun part of playing the game, I think. And they've taken that fun out of it. Well, you know, the other thing, Shafe, is, is I, I really believe that uh, they don't want to – a lot of people don't want to believe this, but if you – we just didn't call it the same. We had analytics back when we played. We had spray charts, how to play hitters. We had what guys like to hit. I mean, the, the thing that bothers me is that they think they're reinventing the wheel – by labeling something different than what we, when we played, uh, what, what's it, what's it called now? The, uh, what's a breaking ball call now? They got a new name for it. It's not a curveball. Sweeper. 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 A sweeper. I faced a whole bunch of guys that had sweepers. It was a real good <laughs> curveball. I faced a whole lot of guys that had cutters. I had faced a whole lot of guys that had good sliders, but now we want to change the name of the pitch. And I have no idea why you're doing that, but I guess it's, they want to put their finger on and say, hey, I enabled this. I labeled this as a sweeper. Taking well, credit we used to have a guy named Burt Blyland when we faced. He had an unbelievable breaking ball. We call it a big, big time curveball. I mean, uh, you know, I, I just I, I don't understand why we got to change the verbiage on certain things when guys that have played know exactly what the pitch was. But we want to call it a sweeper now as opposed to a slurve or a breaking ball or a slider. You know, during the middle of Jack Gallons, I think it was his second inning. He was he struggled obviously the first couple innings, but all of a sudden in the middle of it, I saw him pull an index card out of his back pocket, step to the back of the mound, and start reading it. Is that becoming prevalent now? Yeah, well, that's very prevalent. Well, with the, the the part that I have a tough time, I, I'm I'm not against having cards. If they want to have cards, that's fine. But what I what I see a lot of, and usually as Shafe knows, you know, when you before you take the field and you're playing a team like maybe saying we're playing uh, Arizona like we are. You go over the hitters, how you're going to play them, how you're going to pitch them. And yet the first inning, before the hitter even gets up, they pull out the car. We just got out of the clubhouse. Yeah. We went over the whole the whole lineup, how we're going to play guys. And what I think that does, it takes responsibility away from a player. Yeah. And now they're saying, well, the reason I played here is because they told me this is where I'm supposed to play this hitter. So I, I think you got to have response, especially in the infield. You got to have responsibility above, above playing. Uh, how many times shape have you seen a double play situation? And because we want to spread way out and just get the force out a second, we don't ever get the double play because we're not cheating for the double play. But and again, their philosophy is well, we'll get the sure out because there's a lot of strikeouts in the game, and maybe the next two guys up will strike out. That's why I think putting the ball in play is very important. An out is not an out. I've heard that phrase. A guy strikes out, say, well, an out's an out. It's not an out. Put the ball in play. Make the other team handle the baseball. Make them throw the ball across the diamond. And that creates errors. That creates the havoc in the infield. How many times, Shay, if you play the infield, you see a guy that can run real good? 
First thing you're going to do is you're going to move up a couple steps. The next thing in your mind, you say, I got to get rid of this ball because if I don't get rid of it, he's going to beat it out. That's all part of the, 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 the ins and outs of baseball. And I think that a lot of that has gone by the wayside. You've got a guy in your middle that made an adjustment at the plate this year, Bryson Stott. Uh, this year he had 82 two-strike hits. Um, and, and that shows you a young guy making some adjustments, spreading out with two strikes, uh, trying to put in play instead of buying into the – which I, I don't agree with. And I, I, can't, I can't even convince myself there's a rationale for striking out uh, at all. But it's like it was sacrilegious growing up. But Bryson Stott, talk to him a little bit because he made that uh, – 82 two-strike hits this year. That's phenomenal. This, this guy has got a chance of being a real, real good player. He's having a tremendous year this year. But as you said, he's got a two-strike approach. In his mind, he's not saying he's on the defensive, but he's saying, I got to let, I got to see the ball a little bit longer. I'm going to spread out. I'm not going to stride as much. I'm going to keep my head still. I'm going to keep my hands where they're supposed to be. And that's why he has 82 base hits with two strikes. He gives you a great at bat. He's not afraid to hit with two strikes. He's got a tremendous eye. He's done a tremendous job at second base. He's got nothing but great things ahead of him barring any injuries, but he's come a long way. He's originally played short and all of a sudden they tell him to move to second. He's not skipped a beat. His work ethics off the charts. Uh, like I said, this guy's got a chance. I think he's going to be a, a, a legit 300 hitter eventually in his career. He, this is only a second year and he's made all these adjustments. He's not afraid to hit left-handed pitching. Uh, and I think that's another thing that, that has gone by the wayside. I go watch minor league baseball and I see guys, as soon as they bring a left-hander in and we have a left-handed hitter, oh, we pinch hit for him. Well, how are you going to know if a guy can't hit left-handed pitching unless you let him get uh, 150, 200 at-bats against left-handed pitching? You know, it's it's not impossible for a lefty to hit a lefty. Uh, and it seems like in the minor leagues, we're saying, okay, lefty's coming in, put a right-handed hitter up. And we're, we're not developing the way we should develop because we're letting people dictate – to other people, oh, this guy can't hit lefties. Well, we don't know if he can hit can't hit lefties. He hit him in college. Why can't he hit him when he signed a professional contract? We got to let him play. That's the bottom line. We got to let him play. Well, that's one problem in minor leagues. They don't teach kids to get better. They teach kids to win that particular day. Just like the pitchers, they throw all sliders. You know, lower minors, they throw all sliders because they get right. hitters out. But you go to the next level, and next level, they're not going to swing that slider in the dirt. So now the guy's 1-0, and then he's 2-0. and now what's he do? So you got to teach a guy how to pitch, teach him how to, you know, locate his fastball, change speeds, and go from there. But uh, just like you said, when they pinch hit a lefty against a lefty, he never learns. I was a left-handed hitter. I didn't hit left-handed pitch as well, but, you know, the more I faced him, the better I got. But the thing is, the more lefties I faced, the righties looked a lot easier to hit than than, than they were before. Because you stay in there, you stay closed, and you don't, you know, fly out. But, uh, again, it's teaching guys how to get better. And that's what it's all about. In the minor league, even in the big leagues at times, you got to teach guys how to get better. Yeah, and I, you know, I, and I think these guys all in the big leagues, I think they want to be taught. I really do. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I look at the new rules now. Uh, I, I love the pitch clock. Believe me. I mean, that to me is a big plus. I like the fact it helps infielders. It helps outfielders. The pitcher gets the ball and throws it. You're on your toes. You're ready to fit, catch a ground ball as opposed to guys walking around the mound. Hitters stepping out. I love that part of the game. Uh, I don't like the stolen base thing, throwing over twice and third time. If you don't get them, it's a balk. I mean, and, and you get you get writers now, or I should say, people that cover sports. They're trying to compare. And again, 
the, the, the outfielder for the Braves, Acuna, tremendous athlete, great bat speed, great arm, great speed. Don't compare Acuna with Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman and, and guys that stole bases all the time. It's a different game now. It's completely different. Let those guys have those same rules. It's okay to have these rules, but don't compare them and say, oh, he shattered Ricky Henderson's stolen base record. Well, you know what? It, it's, it's not the same thing. You've got different rules now. So guys should steal more bases. And, and, uh, and I think you saw that this year. I think Acuna, would he steal over 70 bases and he hit 40 home runs? I mean, those are numbers that are probably back in the day would have never been top because of these new rules. So don't you're, you're doing an injustice to these guys that played 25, 30 years ago. When you start comparing stolen bases in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to now in 2023, it's a complete different game. The rules are different. Yeah. Larry, uh, uh, Ted Kubiak yeah. used to play with the A's. Right. Wrote a key. He's an avid listener to our show. We've had him on a couple of times. And he, I let him know you were coming on, and he sent me a ton of questions he wanted me to ask you, but he highlighted a couple. Um, one was about Bryson Stott that you mentioned, but kind of overall the, the, with the, the uh, platooning system nowadays, it's so cavalier to say a guy, oh, let's just put him in center. Let's put him at second. Let's put him right. at third. Talk to the audience, and I know we're audio only, but – how hard it is to make that transition from shortstop to second base. You go from where everything's in front of you to everything's in behind you now. It's very difficult. And, you know, it's easier to play on the side, on, on, the, on the shortstop side, because everything's coming at you. You see the runner. But again, now, let, let's go back a little bit farther. Uh, you don't have to worry about getting knocked down on a double play anymore, because if sure. a, guy, a runner hits a, 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 a fielder and he's a little bit off the base, it's an automatic double play. So that part of the game you can eliminate. The, uh, the guy, the play at second base, nobody's going to get hit anymore because of the new rule. But to go from one side of the diamond to the other, I would, I, I played, I think, end up playing two or three games at second. I think that's a lot different, a lot more difficult to play that side because I played short my whole career and everything I said is in front of me. Man, you get blindsided. You don't know where the runner is. You get different throws from third base. Uh, but stop that. He made the transition like he's played there forever. And uh, I asked him uh, about two weeks ago, I said, are you glad you moved over there? He says, yeah. He says, I know I can still play short. He says, but second base is, is detailed a lot more. That, you know, you got to cover first on bunch, different places for cutoffs and relays. Uh, you get the ball different. You come across the bag. You step all over the bag. You step towards left field. There's so many different ways to make pivots at second base. And he's adapted to that like he's been doing it for the last 10 years. Uh, he's a great athlete. He's a great kid. And as I said, his work ethic's off the charts. Yeah. How do you evaluate working with a, when you grab an infielder and you're working with him? How do you evaluate uh, first, you know, what guy will make a good infielder? And then what are some things that you, you hit on? I look, I look at his footwork, first of all. If you got slow feet, you might as well try to go out to left field or right field or, or, or pick another position. If you have quick feet, quick hands, Getting uh, hand-eye coordination is important. Obviously, you got to have good hands or you couldn't play in there. Uh, the ability to get the ball out quick. These are things you work at. Uh, getting the, you know, the one thing that Stott had a problem with early, and he's, he's remedied that already, is on the double play, he had a tendency. The exchange wasn't as quick as, he, as he sh it should have been. And watching him over the course of 162 games now, the exchange from third or exchange from short – is off the charts now. He gets rid of the ball as good as anybody. But at the beginning, it was a long exchange. 
And this this was because this kid, like I said, this kid's worked at it. He goes out there every day and practices the exchange. But I, the number one thing I look at is obviously the footwork, and a, you have to have good hands. And range is important. Your first step off the off when you see the pitch crossing home plate is very important. I mean, I watched Mike Schmidt, who's the greatest third baseman I've ever played with. He wasn't real fast, but his first step was off the chart. And uh, Scott Rowland's another kid that uh, just went into the Hall of Fame. Tremendous athlete, uh, great instincts, great hand-eye coordination. Uh, you can pick out infielders real quick. If you watch an infielder for a week to 10 days, watch him every day, you can find out if he's going to be an everyday player, especially in the middle of the diamond. Yeah, you know, the new rules about I can't take the second baseman out or shortstop is really taking some of the skill away from the game. I mean, I played mostly short, some second, but the secret is you get rid of ball quick and get up in the air and you won't get hurt. But now anybody can play second because they just plant both feet and throw because they can't get hurt. Right. So, I mean, I don't I don't like that rule at all because, like I said, it takes a lot of skill away. I mean, the guy that got hurt, Tejada, he got hurt because he tried to make a double play when there's no chance of making a double play. Right. Of course, Utley, Utley was out of, you know, he was illegal slide. He was when we had a baseline to get him. I don't think he meant to hurt him. Right. But it's like Posey to change rule because somebody gets hurt. But it's taking a lot of skill away from the game. And uh, I just I just don't like it that, you know, not that you want guys to get hurt. But if you know how to defend yourself, you know how to play second base or shortstop. You know how to get up in the air when you have to. But like Larry said, you know, you got to get rid of ball quick. You have a short arm, a quick arm, and then get up in the air where if you get hit, you fall down and you don't get hurt. Well, you, well, you know the other thing, Shafe, when, when you when you were on first base and there was a guy on third base and there was one out, your main the job right there was to break up a double play. And again, we're not talking about being dirty. We're talking about a clean hard slide into the into the the second baseman, whether he's going across the bag or stepping back. Because your main objective there is, I got to break this double play up because that guy at third, it's important that we score this run. And that's to me, it takes that competitiveness away. When you're at first base now, you got to say, oh, I got to make sure I slide the right way because if I'm a little bit off, they're going to call an automatic double play and that run's not going to score. So it's taken away from that. And I really believe in my mind that if, it, if a guy like Utley wasn't involved and a guy like Posey wasn't involved, those rules would never have been changed. And in my opinion on a catcher's block at home plate, hey, you know what? If you want to block home plate, go ahead. But you know you're going to get hit. Mike Sosha probably did it as well as anybody. He would plant at home plate. He knew he was going to get hit. He accepted the fact that guys were trying to hit him, but his job was to prevent that guy from scoring a run. But if you had a backup second baseman or a backup catcher that had those injuries occur the way they did to uh, when, when uh, uh, hit the shortstop for the Mets and, and Posey got hit at home plate, I don't think these rules would ever have been changed. But because of the fact that they were super players. They said, you know, we got to change these rules. And it's, it's taken away a lot of the competitiveness in baseball, I think. I agree. Yeah. What about sticking with the catcher position, Larry? They, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, we talked about the index cards. We got the pitch comm now. There's a lot of scripting of the games. The catcher's position has always been the thinking man's position behind the plate. Um, how much of analytics, how much of predetermining outcomes, uh, predetermining, patterns how much of that is taken away from the catchers I, I think a lot you know I, I I really believe a catcher has a good feel a, a good catcher reads swings a good catcher can see if a guy's moved up on the plate from the first bat to the for the second bat a good catcher sees if he's moved towards a pitcher or backed up uh, when you these things 
when you watch a good catcher operate, they're checking out everything. But because we are putting this stuff into a computer and saying, this is how we get this hitter out. This is how I want you to set up hitters. Again, pitchers don't have stuff every night. They don't get a breaking ball over when the counts two and zero every time they go out there. So you better have another plan. And I think what happens is we're taking, again, we're taking responsibility away from everyday players and making them robots. This is where I want you to play as a shortstop on this hitter. This is where I want you to play as a second baseman on this hit. Whereas when you play the game, you see swings from shortstop. You see swings from second base. You know when a pitcher's got exceptional stuff that night. Wheeler last night had a great fastball, a great fastball, a good two-seamer, a good four-seamer. So you make those adjustments in the infield when you watch guys swing. There's no one way to get guys out. I mean, in the big leagues, hitters make adjustments. Pitchers got to make adjustments. It's not one plan fits all. And I think that's what you're seeing when, when you see a lot of these guys are trying to – everybody doesn't have a Wheeler fastball. So if you say, hey, Wheeler, uh, uh, Wheels, you can get this guy out on your fastball. That doesn't mean a guy pitching like tonight, Nola's pitching. He does not have the same fastball <laughs> Wheeler does. So you have to make some adjustments accordingly, whoever's pitching that particular night. But right now, Wheeler's throwing – he's hitting on all cylinders right now. He's got overpowering stuff, and it's fun to watch him go out there and pitch right now. Well, you said, as before, you got to set the hitter up. When I was in Kansas City, we had a catcher. but he, he was a real good catcher, but he didn't know how to set the hitter up. Like, we took over the hitters before the game and say, this guy would chase a uh, slider down and away. Well, he went to slider down and away first pitch. Instead of going to the fastball inside, whatever, set it up. And finish right. it off with a good you know, put-away pitch. Right. Now, he learned, became a pretty good catcher as he went on in his career. But earlier, he just had no clue about how to set a hitter up. And the big thing is setting a hitter up and then put the, you know, the finishing pitch or, the, you know, at, at the end, not start him off with a finishing pitch, so to speak. Right. Well, in, you know, in our <laughs> in our situation with the Phillies, we got JT Riamuto, and he's t- he takes responsibility. You know, he might look at the game report, what you want to do to get guys out, but he's going to ask questions on well, why are we doing this here? Uh, and you have catchers, the real good catchers will question sometimes the game plan, which I like. That doesn't mean that they're right. That doesn't mean the analytic people are right. But when you have feedback back and forth, I think that's how each side learns. I think the analytics can learn from the everyday catcher. And I think there's some stuff that the catcher can learn from the analytic guys, but it's not a one-way street here. You know, you got to combine the the two of them, and uh, and I think the teams that are successful. And again, I keep going back to these four teams that are still that are still playing. And I know they all use analytics. I'm not saying they don't use analytics, but I think there's a fine line between when they use them and how they use them. Yeah, because these four guys that are managing now, they pay their dues in the minor leagues. They've worked their way through the minor league systems into the big leagues. They've been successful big league players. And a guy like Rob Thompson, who didn't play in the big leagues, he learned a lot from Joe Torre, who was with the Yankees for a long time. So you can learn from different people. It's not always people that never put on a uniform that have all the answers. I, I watched all the games with my two boys, Larry, and the other night we were watching Rob Thompson. Um, we watched games with Dusty Baker, obviously. And the question they both asked me during those games is, what are they doing? Because they see, you know, this generation sees guys passing iPads around the dugout. Right. Um, like candy. And I said, they're, they're watching the game. Um, ha- talk to the audience about how important that is. Just simple. S- sounds simple, but it's not just watching the game. 
Yeah, when you watch the game, I mean, you know, you used to – it used to be when a pitcher took the mound, or the real good pitchers back in the day, they could get through a lineup by spotting fastballs and throwing straight changeups one time through the lineup. But now you see pitchers, not all of them, a lot of them, They'll show the leadoff hitter every single pitch in his arsenal. Oh, he just threw a fastball. Oh, he threw a cutter. Oh, he threw a straight change. Whereas why wouldn't you want to surprise that hitter in the fifth inning when you haven't thrown a breaking ball to him? You've gotten him out on locating fastballs down and away or up and away. You know, you throw a fastball four different quadrants. That's four different pitches. Up and in, up and away, down and in, down and away. That's not one pitch. That's four different pitches. And if you can command those pitches and, and mix in change-ups with that, you can get through a lineup one time without showing breaking balls. And what happens is that guy comes up in the fourth inning. Now he's, he's hitting with the bases loaded. He's seen all your pitches in the first couple innings. But if he's never seen the breaking ball that night, he doesn't know what it is. Now you throw that in there. You might get a double player, get him to roll over a ground ball. But you see guys now, pitchers in particular, man, they want to use all their pitches right out of the gate. And I'm, I'm a firm believer. I know that the iPads are very helpful as far as letting guys know, oh, that was a bad pitch. He called a strike on me. Uh, I can't swing at that pitch. The umpire missed that call. Or he, he got me out on a cutter. Uh, you, your eyes, if, when you're watching the game, back in the day we didn't have computers in the dugout, but you, your eyes, would you, you'd fixate on, on the pitcher that night. Oh, he's got a good fastball. Or the leadoff hitter come back and saying, hey, tune it up, man. He's got a little bit extra tonight. Or he's not throwing very good. He's using the two-seamer instead of the four-seamer. Communication is so important. And, you know, again, it's passing down knowledge. Leadoff hitter Pete Rose, when he's with us, he would go up there and first at bat, look at eight, nine, ten pitches, and he'd come back to the dugout. He said, you guys see that? And, you know, just being able to communicate with your teammates of what you just saw in the batter's box. And, again, there's going to be different hitters, singles hitters. Pitchers are going to pitch them different than a guy like uh, Greg Greg Blazinski or Mike Schmidt, two power hitters that I played with. When I played, I'm not going to look for pitches that they got him out on. I'm going to look for pitches that, hey, I don't want this singles guy to get on base because the big boys are coming in. So the strategy changes so much during the course of a game. You hit on something that may be foreign to some of our young audience. They're such a new style of leadoff hitter nowadays. But uh, expound upon that. Great point with Pete Rose. I was, I was a leadoff hitter as well. And my job, my first at-bat was always a team at-bat. If, right. if that pitcher was dumb enough to throw every pitch in his arsenal, then that was a successful at-bat because all my teammates got a chance to see. Talk about the difference between the new, new leadoff hitters and, the, and the, I guess the, the, the way it used to be. Well, the newly, the, you know, obviously the new leadoff hitters now are a lot of them are power hitters. I mean, we have one Schwarber. I mean, this guy hits over forty home runs. He gets his walks. There's no question. But back in the day, I think you saw a lot more hitters get eighty-five to hundred walks in the leadoff position. You don't see that anymore. I mean, like I said, we're very fortunate to have Schwarb now, who gets over a hundred walks and hits forty-some home runs and drives in close to a hundred runs. So the, the leadoff hitter is a lot lot different. Back in the day, the best hitter on the team usually hit third. Now you see in the, in the lineups, through the analytics and everything, that the best hitter, a lot of best hitters hit second. So And they'll, they'll give you their explanation on why that is, when how many times they come up, how many guys on base. Uh, so the, the leadoff hitter has definitely changed. And before it used to be, hey, the leadoff hitter, as you just mentioned, 
I'm going to show you guys a lot of pitches. Well, last night, first pitch of the game, Schwarber gets into the seats. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the difference between a leadoff hitter now and back in the day. Very seldom did you see leadoff hitters hit a lot of home runs. And now the game has changed that way. Which, hey, I'm fine with that. You want to start the game off one to nothing? That means the other team's got to get two runs right out of the gate. So that part of the game is different. There's no question about that. And, again, the other part that I see, uh, the, the, the best hitters on the team, a lot of them, not all of them, are hitting second. Uh, I'm a firm believer. I like our best hitter hitting third. And, you know, last night was Harp, who's probably our best hitter. And he put one in the seat. So that, that part of the, the strategy, obviously, is different in every organization. Do you want your best hitter hitting second? Do you want him hitting third? Do you want a power guy like Schwab hitting first? Do you want him hitting fifth when there's going to be a lot of men on base? So, again, that, that part of the strategy has definitely changed. Well, the thing about your team is you've got guys who protect each other. you got a lot of good hitters throughout the lineup. And we talked about the lineup construction well, three or four times ago, right, Dave? And, yeah. You know, it's different now, but the good teams, like the Phillies, they have nine guys you can score any time in the lineup, basically. And, yeah. uh, you know, you got guys protect Harper. Harper protects uh, Turner and so yeah. forth. So, I mean, that's the big thing about putting a lineup together. Yeah, and our lineup, as you well know, Shay, if you've been watching baseball long, we have a deep lineup, man. You got Cassiano's in seventh or eighth down there, and he's crushing the ball like he is. It, it's a difficult lineup to to navigate through. But again, it, it, it's these hitters. They they know that who's coming up behind them. They can sort of look for pitches in certain situations. I mean, if 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 I got first base open, and Harp's hitting right now, I don't care who's hitting behind him. It could be the greatest hitter in the world. I'm not pitching a harp right now. I'm sorry. He's in one of those grooves right now where no matter what you throw, he's going to swear it up. But again, that's part of the strategy. And a lot of analytic people don't like putting guys on. Oh, you put your clog, you're putting more base runners out there. You're putting more traffic on there. But sometimes putting a guy on first when first base is open and you already had a guy on second, I don't want harp hitting a three run home run. So I'm going to, I'm going to put him on. Uh, that part of the strategy, they don't understand that part of it. You know, every time you go into a series, as you well know, Shafe, there's one when you go when you go over your meeting of how you're going to pick. There's one guy in the lineup you say, "I don't want this guy beating me tonight. I don't care what the situation is." Right. And I think Harper's in that situation right now. If I'm the other side right now, I'm saying I don't want Harp to beat me. I'm going to do everything in my power. If I have to walk him, I'm going to walk him. Uh, and and uh, the analytic people, a lot of them, I'm not saying all of them, they don't like intentional passes. How many times I, I have this year I've saw I've seen more probably pitch outs this year than I have in the last five years because of the new rules. But up until this year, I already seen a pitch out. It, right. it was like non-existent. And, uh, you know, again, that that changing looks for a guy that can steal bases, holding the ball, stepping off, throwing over doing a 1-1 a one, one, one time and maybe a 1-4 to home plate the next. That messes up a, a base runner's timing, and that's all part of just like pitchers try to mess up timing of a hitter, go hard, go soft. Same thing as, as stealing bases, man. You want to upset his timing. You get into a rhythm and you keep hitting and going 1-3, one, 1-4 one, to home plate, that guy's going to eventually be a second base within two or three pitches. So you have to be able to make a, a – make changes on the mound. And to me, that's a mark of a good pitcher, being able to handle the the, the base running game, uh, keeping guys close. I, I, last night I watched Wheeler. Uh, Carroll started the game off with a base hit. 
And Wheeler gave him three or four different looks in the first, and he didn't get a good feel on getting a jump. And this guy can run. He can steal bases. But the ability for Wheeler to shut down the running game right out of the gate, it sent a message to Arizona saying, hey, man, this guy's not hes not deliberate. He's not 1-5 every time. He'll hit and go one time. He'll hold it on you. And he definitely did a great job last night in uh, in uh, almost negating the, the the running game for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. Well, Larry, you had mentioned, uh, you talked about the relationship you and Bob have had over years and the importance of paying your dues, being around good baseball men, having those conversations, whether you agree or not. Um, we've got a couple of openings now and, and it, with managerial positions. Who are some of those guys out there that, should be getting some attention that maybe aren't right now. Well, to me, the guy in San Francisco, Ron Wotus, I go way back with him when he was in high school, but I'm kind of biased, but this guy has paid his dues. He's been a minor league, great minor league manager, very successful. He'd been a bench coach, third base coach for four almost Hall of Fame managers, you know, uh, Felipe Lou and then uh, Dusty and, of course, Bochy. And he's got all the credentials. And I see the other, other people that are interviewing there's no contest. I mean, the other guys have no credentials. And then you got a woman interviewing, which I think is almost embarrassing. Nothing against women, but I don't see him being a major league manager, even major league coach for that matter. But uh, I just don't know what's taking him so long. And I talked to Ron. He didn't know if he really wanted a job or not, but I think he does. But, I mean, he, he's a no-brainer. He's been in the organization. They love him in San Francisco. But what's taking so long to hire a guy like him when they're interviewing these other guys? I just don't know. All I can think of is that, you know, the general manager, whoever, is intimidated by somebody who's a good baseball guy. They want to control what happens on the field when they don't know what goes on in the field because they've never done it before. Well, you know, and another guy that, that I, I keep seeing gets overlooked, and uh, I, I know he's paid his dues, and I I was very fortunate to have his dad as a coach for me, is Sandy Alomar for the Cleveland Indians. Now, there's an opening there. He's been there, been there for a long time, and I'm sure he's learned a lot from Terry Francona on how to handle personnel how to communicate with ball players. Uh, I keep waiting for this guy to get a job. I keep waiting for Joey Cora, uh, who's Alec Cora's brother. This guy's paid his dues. Um, and I don't see guys like uh, that getting uh, getting interviews. Dusty Wathen for the Phillies, third base coach. His dad played for the Kansas City Royals. He managed. Uh, these guys are all knowledgeable, man. They, they know the game. They've had experience. And hopefully they get some interviews. Uh, I would like to see them get get at least acknowledged that saying, hey, we know you've been in baseball a long time. You've been very – for a coach to stay in baseball as long as those guys that I just mentioned, they must be doing something right. And to see them, I'd like to see them get – one of those guys get rewarded and get a job because I think that, uh, uh, they, they like a, in Shafe's words, they've paid their dues uh, and I think they're ready to, to, to take the next step and be a manager. But DeMarlo Hale, another guy that's with Cleveland, yeah. he was one of my managers in the minor leagues when he ran the Red Sox. He's been a third base coach, bench coach for championship teams. He was under Terry Francona in Boston. Then Terry brought him over to Cleveland, but he's been with Texas, been with a couple other teams. And he's very well respected by the players. And right. he didn't play in the big leagues, of course, but that shouldn't matter. I mean, guys coached that long with the uh, responsible positions in the coaching, uh, you know, in the coaching staff, like coaching third being a bench coach. And right. I mean, Terry Francona raved about him when I, the last time I saw him because he knew I was his buddy. He said, you know, DeMarlo's a whole lot better than I thought he was. He's unbelievable how good he is. But yeah, to yeah, me, he's yeah, a good chance. You, you huh? know, we, we have a couple guys too. I, I mentioned Dusty Wadden. Bobby Dickerson's been in baseball a long time. 
uh, you know, I'd like to see him get an opportunity to manage uh, and, or, or even get interviewed. I, I think that would be uh, great for a guy like Bobby. Uh, Walt Weiss for the Atlanta Braves, you know, he managed one time and, and he didn't, it didn't go very well. Usually the first time you manage, you learn from your mistakes and everything. Uh, there, there's a lot of good guys that are on coaching staffs right now that have got 25, 30 years in baseball. And it doesn't even, maybe they are getting interviewed, but it hasn't been public publicized that they are getting interviewed. But those are guys that I'd like to see get an opportunity, at least get interviewed and uh, express their opinions on how the game has been being changed, how different the game is now. I think every one of these guys that I mentioned and the, and the guys that Shafe mentioned, they would be they would be into putting in analytics, but using doing both 50 50. You know, I, I think a good analytic group. This is my opinion. Now, a good analytic group gets all the information. They take it down to the manager and the coaching staff. They look at it and they use what they want to use. If they don't want to use something, don't take it personally. If you're into the analytics, maybe they don't feel that would work tonight. And I'm sure there's some things that they bring down. They say, oh, man, I really like this. I'm going to use this. But their job is to give the coaches and manager all the information. Use what you want to use. And if they if you take it personal, if you don't use something, shame on you. Because, you know, in, in the game of baseball, hey, I'll be the first to tell you, I've been wrong on players. I've said, oh, man, this guy's going to be a great player. And the next year he gets released. That doesn't mean that I don't know anything about baseball. You're going to make mistakes when you when you throw opinions out there and you feel, really believe in what you believe in. You're not going to be 100 percent right. I don't care how long you've been in baseball. I've been in baseball for 50 years. I make mistakes and I still make mistakes. But for the most part, I have a pretty good feel of what it takes to be a big league baseball player. And Dave Dombrowski asked me opinions. I give him my opinion, but I also know that Dave's in charge. And he's going to make the final call, which is fine. He might say to me, Larry, I don't think this guy's a good player. And I'm going to say, fine. I'm not going to sit and argue with you. He's been very successful as the president of teams, general manager of teams. So, But the fact that he asked guys that have played and been around, I respect the heck out of that. you know. And I, and I think that a, a real good president or a real good general manager uses all their assets they have in the organization. But when push comes to shove, they make the final call, which that's how it should be. You just say the analytics. I mean, they can give you all the information, which a lot of it is very good, no doubt about it. But once the game starts, you got to watch the game, use your head, use your heart, and see what's going on and plug in what you need to plug in. But you can't script the game before the game starts. And that's the problem I have when they say, okay, third time through the lineup and so forth. Well, some pitches depends who's coming up the third time through the lineup. I mean, it depends on what you have left. I mean, sometimes the good pitchers, like I use Granky as an example, he'll take he'll take something off the fastball, he'll take something off the pitches. And, you know, he knows how to control bat speed, he knows how to control, uh, you know, the uh, strike zone and change of speeds and location. If you're still locating, you got a chance to be successful. And that's what it's all about. But you can't say I'm going to take him out third, th- third time through the lineup no matter what the situation is. you got to use your – your common sense, and that's where experience comes in hand. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I play with uh, probably one of the greatest left, left-handed left pitchers that in baseball, Steve Carlton. And I, I seen with my own eyes that uh, in the fifth inning, he's got a six-to-nothing lead. 
he's going to pitch different than if the score is two to one or one to nothing. He's not going to be afraid to throw a fastball in a fastball count because he doesn't want to walk the guy. So the, the, the mentality of pitchers now is a lot different because I think we have created a problem here. I think every pitcher you ask for the most part would like to throw eight or nine innings. Today's pitchers, I really do. But they are programmed right now to throw five innings or 100 pitches, whatever comes first. And they rather than fight City Hall, they're saying, okay, I'm just going to go with the program. But I guarantee you get these guys, they want to throw into the eighth inning. But because of the, the way the game is played now, rather than fight these people, they're saying, okay, I get it. Uh, we were with one of the best pitchers we've seen in a long time, Shafe, in Clayton Kershaw. And he used to fight that stuff, man. He used to say, I, I don't want to come out of the game in the fifth inning. I, the last two or three years, I've, I've read his quotes. But now he's sort of like made the adjustment, said, okay, if this is the way the game's going to be played, then I'll go with the program. So, But I think if you ask most pitchers, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I know you have, there's a few that probably would only like to go five innings, but most real good pitchers would like to play, pitch into the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. I get afraid that they're going to do the starting pitchers what the NFL did the running backs, where they they devalue them on the market because they're they're typecasting them into five innings. Well, I've heard this statement a lot, saying batting average means nothing, RBIs mean nothing, and wins for starting pitchers mean nothing. Yeah, you know what? I'll I'll go to my grave saying all those things mean something. They do. Give me give me seven three hundred hitters. I'll see what I can do. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you give me a guy, give me five guys who drive in a hundred runs. Let me see what I can do. I'm going to win a lot of games. They're they're taking away things that there's some guys that love to hit with men in base. Tony Perez used to be the greatest two out, two strike RBI guy I've ever seen in my life. Greg Lazinski was like that with the Phillies. Their philosophy, a lot of them talking with them is. If you hit anybody third in the lineup, they're going to drive in 80 to 85 runs. I disagree with that. Driving in runs is a mindset. And the guys that can drive in 100 runs every year, they're special. Don't take that away from those guys. They're very special players. Uh, they're important to have in your lineup. And I think we're, we're taking away the wins. A guy wins 18 games, give me that guy. He knows how to win baseball games. But they say winning baseball games has a lot to do with luck. Well, I'm sure there's some of it that has a lot to do with luck, but there's also some that the guy wants to stay out there and beat that guy's that that other team he's pitching against. So, when you say wins don't mean nothing, RBIs don't mean nothing, and batting averages don't mean anything, I have to disagree with that. I think you're, right. in, good, you're in good company here with that. I, I, I would I would say, but, uh, Bob, we've kept Larry for almost an hour now. We appreciate his time. What last questions would you have for him? Well, one thing about Larry, he'll tell you how it is. And, uh, you know, we, we disagree, we agree, but we're on the same page in a lot of things. And unfortunately, statistics, I think pitchers pitch for stats. They want to get strikeouts because that's how they get paid, which you know, can't blame them for that. But, you know, pitcher comes in the eighth inning, they're a five-run lead, and they try to strike the guy out. Next thing you know, they're walking two guys. And stuff yeah. like that. In the old days, like you said about Steve Carlton, he pitched differently when he's way ahead. Just throw strikes, make him hit the ball so he can finish the game. And that's what you got to see more of, I think, rather than just – even like hitters, they go for exit velocity rather than just put the ball in play. And, uh, you yeah. know, to me, you do what you can do to win a game, and that's what it's all about. And, you know, it took Jack Morris a long time to get in the Hall of Fame because his ERA wasn't that low. But he stayed in the game. He was up by four or five runs and gave up two or three runs. But 
he always stayed in the game and, you know, his ERA wasn't as good because he got, gave up runs, but he, he learned how to win. And when you pitch seven, eight innings, the next day you got a better chance of winning besides that day. Yeah, they, they, that's another – you made a great point there. You, know, you get your starting pitchers to go eight innings, man. You're, you're only asking for three outs, maybe five outs out of your bullpen as opposed to getting 12 outs every night out of your bullpen. That's hard to do unless you have a great bullpen. Somebody out there that you bring in for those one innings – is going to get lit up or he might not have his good stuff. You know, the one thing before we get off here, the, the, the one thing that I heard, and a lot of the commentators said this, I haven't heard analytic people say this. Uh, I watched this second baseman for uh, Miami, Ariz. And now this guy, this guy's a pretty good hitter. He puts the ball in play. He's got a two strike approach, but all the commentators, now these aren't analytic people. The commentators say, well, the reason he's, he's not really high on everybody's list is his exit velocity. He gets over 200 hits a year. Who cares about his exit velocity? His job is to get on base for the big boys coming up behind them. That's where I think we're, we're missing out on, on, on a guy's assets. This guy, he work counts. He gets on base. He puts the ball in play. He's got a two-strike approach. These guys are so important to a lineup that I think we're losing that, that, that feel for that kind of player. We don't want nine of those guys, but it'd be nice to have three or four of them for the big boys that are coming up that hit 40 home runs. But again, again, the analytic people didn't say this. I hear a commentator say it. Yeah, they played saying, well, you know, his exit velocity is not good. I could care less. As long as that ball finds green grass and he's on first base and he can create havoc on the bases, that's all I care about. His, his numbers are eerily comparable to a guy by the name of Tony Gwynn after his first five years. Exactly. I, and I managed Tony Gwynn. This guy was a tremendous, I mean, you talk about hand-eye coordination. He could hit the ball wherever he wanted to. I used to play against him. I had, He drove me crazy. I didn't know where to play him. He'd hit balls between third and short. He'd hit him up the middle. He'd pull them. Those guys, they're, they're difficult to defend against, man, because you don't, they got such great back control. You don't know how to play them. You throw those spray charts away when guys like that, Rod Carew, throw the throw the spray charts away because they're going to hit the ball where it's pitched, and it's very hard to defend guys like that. No, I think it was a great episode. Bob, tremendous uh, show here, episode 317. Larry, thanks so much. Oh, it was for fun. Today. Anytime I can talk baseball with Shafe, I have a good time. Well, we'll have you on more if you if you if you'll be willing to do that. And we wish the yeah. Phillies the best of luck. Uh, they always seem to peak at the right time here under Rob Thompson. So, seem like they're peaking at the right time. And love to have you back on the show anytime you want to come back again. Open invitation uh, well, to come back here. Thank you very much. I had yeah. a great time. And well, thanks Shay- again, Bo. Thanks right, again. We'll be in touch. All right, you that's, take care. That's All it. Right. Stay with us for a little bit, Larry. Episode three seventeen okay. in the books. Just want to thank our audience: fifty two thousand subscribers now, seventy four countries. Shafe is global. If he wasn't before, he is now. Wow. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you guys for your support because of your push. We're now the latest uh, podcast network on iHeartRadio. Ten shows now with the likes of Jim Cott, who will come up later on this week. We have Kevin Kernan on next uh, in the next hour here. But thanks so much. Keep pushing those like buttons. Keep writing great comments, especially under Shapes podcast, so we can battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. And with All that, right. guys, thanks so much for a great show. Try